Hi, and welcome to the Post-Acute Point of View, our discussion hub for healthcare technology in the out-of-hospital space. Here we talk about the latest news and views on trends and innovation that can impact the way post-acute care providers work. And we take a look at how technology can make a difference in today's changing healthcare landscape in both home-based and facility-based care organizations and the lives of the people they serve. Hello, everyone. My name is Lavin Gravis. I am with Healthcare First, and I'm so excited and honored today to introduce Shepherd's Cove Hospice. They are in Northeast Alabama, and they are with us because they have been a Hospice Honors Award recipient for six years in a row. And we wanted to invite them to introduce themselves, talk about what they do in order to have received the Hospice Honors Award for such a long period of time. We hope to learn from them and also gain some experience and knowledge about the way that they work with their hospice patients and families and how they have been such a great hospice to have worked with Healthcare First for so many years. So we'll also talk about how they gain knowledge from the hospice honors CAPS surveys the results from those surveys and how that overall just leads to how they work with their patients and families. So I'm excited to introduce Rhonda Osborne. She is CEO and Chief Teaching Officer at Shepherd's Cove. We also have Mandy Chandler, Compliance Director at Shepherd's Cove, and Stormy Dismuke, Chief Nursing Officer at Shepherd's Cove. Thank you all for attending. Again, I'm really excited and honored to have you, and we can get right into it. So I first wanted to ask Rhonda to just briefly explain and maybe go over the history of Shepherd's Cove. Rhonda, go ahead. Thank you, you, Lavin. We appreciate being able to represent our hospice and Alabama with you guys. Shepherd's Cove Hospice started almost 40 years ago. In fact, next year will be our 40th birthday. We were started by a lady, Gail Roderick, who had a heart for serving And she established our agency when hospices were all volunteers. So it was very much with a servant's heart. And that is what we have continued to try to fulfill her legacy. Hospice is a business, but a business of service. And so we believe that that has made a difference for our agency. We've also developed core values over the last few years that we Actually, before we interview a potential employee, they have to review our values and they have to sign off on them because we feel very strongly that if our culture is offensive to them, they're not going to be successful. But if their personal values line up with our hospice business values, then they can be a great candidate. We have been blessed to have a great reputation in our area. Of course, when we started out 40 years ago, We were, our legal name is still Hospice of Marshall County, and we were pretty much just serving the one county. But many years ago, as hospice care started being more accepted, we were being invited to our surrounding counties to serve. And then when Alabama became a CON state, we were able to claim basically nine counties in Northeast Alabama. And much of that was due to our, I believe, our servant's heart and treating patients as we would want our own family served. So our reputation preceded us. And that was another reason we even adopted the BBA name of Shepherd's Cove in 2017, because the people in the county surrounding us misunderstood that they could have our service also, since our name was Hospice of Marshall County. So we wanted to remove that barrier 
and we adopted the Shepherd's Cove name so that those that are in our service area can choose us and because our reputation has preceded us many times. So part of our philosophy as we have been in this 40 years is that we serve patients and families as we would want our own family members served. And many of our staff have had their own family members served. So we've had the experience personally and professionally of that. So we're able to walk that out. Thank you, Rhonda, for sharing your history. My next question is for Stormy. What key areas have you focused on improving over the years? And those key areas that have helped your agency remain a Hospice Honors Elite recipient? Well, we feel like our goal has always been to provide the highest quality of care to the patients and families we've served. So with that in mind, we focus a lot on areas of our visit design, symptom management, respect, and having what we would call zero service failures or zero gifts. We call them gifts if they're a complaint. So we focus on all of those areas and try to teach from the start of orientation through the course of their learning, how to care for these families, we focus on those areas. So focusing on these areas have allowed us to provide, we feel like, exceptional and more consistent end-of-life care. So if you're getting the same visit model, then everyone is doing things the same way. And as Rhonda has already alluded to previously, we try and strive to treat you as we would our own family. So if we wouldn't do it for our grandmother or our mother, we certainly wouldn't want to do that for you. So we want to put that culture in place that we do treat you just like you're one of ours. I can imagine that shows so easily when you do treat someone as if you're one of theirs, then absolutely that shows through in every action that you do with them and every interaction that you have with the patient and the family member. I can imagine that shows through. And obviously it does since this is the whole reason why we're speaking to you all. So Rhonda, my next question is for you. So how does your organizational culture contribute to providing better quality care? Our culture matches up with our mission statement, which says we will provide with a servant's heart exceptional individualized care for those coping with end-of-life issues. Those, along with their values of dedication, excellence, service, reverence, and ethics. And we have 20 standards that uphold and encompass all those. But, for example, a few of our standards are one is you will never pass on work that doesn't meet standard. So it holds you accountable for making sure that we're all working in sync and doing the best we can do. One standard is time to meet, be in the seat. So it helps us respect each other's time. One standard is just overall respect, not only for the patients that we serve and their families, but our vendors, our referral sources, each other. So it encompasses a lot of different things to hopefully embrace a culture that people want to work here and that patients want to be served from here. To try to reinforce the mission, the values, and the standards, we have staff meetings twice a month, so it's not uncommon for us to do what we call call-outs, and that's where we recite our mission statement. We go over our values. We talk about our standards. What's that old phrase? Inspect what you expect. So you keep teaching, and of course, we have new staff members, and So it helps them to get this under their belt and become part of their normal everyday type things. It's really nice when I hear staff say, well, standard 19 is about respect. 
So we're just talking really about culture in a, a lot of different ways in a lot of different avenues. But another way that our culture has made an impact, probably the greatest for our patients and our families is several years ago, we embraced a hospice model that was designed by MVI. And with that hospice model, it did focus on people development, how we train people. They put together a visit design that was just a common sense way of how to do a hospice visit based on the different discipline, but they were able to put it in an order that was easier to teach. It also has a factor of holding people accountable. No one likes to go work somewhere where you're having to pull your load and someone else's too. So we work really hard to hold people accountable. Part of that hospice model was developing your standards. Another factor of the culture, kind of going back to what Stormy was saying, as far as we treat our patients and families as we would want our own treated. And that is, we have a chair that we pull out every once in a while that has across the chair that says patient. So we try to reinforce to our staff that we make decisions from the perspective of the patient's chair. If you were the patient and you were sitting in that chair and you were making that decision, how would that feel? How would that be? So it helps us to guide our business decisions, our care decisions, if there's a decision to be made, because most of the time it's just take care of them the way you want your mama taken care of. But that's a few of the ways that we try to stress and teach our culture and our values. I think that was my favorite answer I've ever gotten to a type of question like that, Rhonda. That is just so amazing. I just, I like how you hold to your standards, you keep everyone accountable, and you have very set ideals and like a roadmap for that. And you guys talk about it frequently and often. And it's even to me, even encompass just do within your title itself. You know, you're not only CEO, but you're also chief teaching officer. And I think that just speaks so greatly to how you all share in the responsibility to teach each other and to really help new staff come up to speed and really know how each of you works and the visit model that you talked about as well, that obviously is making a big difference in the care that you're giving to your patients. Let me speak just a moment to that title of chief teaching officer. That was part of the hospice model. And basically it was just putting the pressure on the CEO that I kind of look at it. You are the role model. If you're not playing it out and you're not teaching the type of care that you want your frontline staff to provide, why would they? So all of us are teachers. And even in our space, that's our teaching space for staff, we have developed a specific space. We call it our Pulse Center. We do classroom education there. We teach our visit design there. We have a lab with the staff go through each step. The hallway outside of that lab is painted to look like you're going into someone's house. There's a car painted. So it's like you've pulled up into their driveway. So we teach the staff what their car ought to look like, what they need to take in with them. So they're not interrupting the visit with multiple trips to their car, how they ask the questions to the patients and their families to get not only the true answers, but to get the most valuable answers so we can provide the best care. We also have created tools that we give to the patients and families. As I said, we're all teachers, but unfortunately we cannot be in the home 24 hours a day. So we've created some tools that we teach the caregivers 
how to troubleshoot, how to do different things when we're not able to be there. Now, of course, we're available to them 24 hours a day, seven days a week with a phone call. But sometimes they just need something really fast that they can look at. And then they might call us and say, okay, I'm looking at my troubleshooting guide. And I just want to walk through when my mama got short of breath. I need to do this, that, and the other. So we've given them written tools. We've given them journals. We've given them different things. And these troubleshooting guides, I really, really have liked. And I believe our families have liked because it's based on about six different broad hospice diagnoses. And not only is it a troubleshooting guide of what to do in the middle of the night sort of thing, but it also is a teaching tool of how for the caregiver to take care of themselves, how to get in touch with us, just different things that we want to reinforce, but it's, it's not a real thick document. It's something easily that they can keep close by and refer to. So that chief teaching officer was just something that we added as a recommendation of MVI to demonstrate to the community as well as internally that teaching is a very important aspect of what we do. Thank you. That's amazing. That is so helpful to hear too, because I'm sure other agencies have heard of that. This That was the first time that I had heard that. So I'm, I'm very grateful that you explained that and did such a great job. And I love the interactive teaching sites that you have set up as well. You, literally, how should a visit go? And even from when you get to your car into the site that you know, just that hands-on obviously speaks so much to how you have earned this award for so many years. And it's things that probably, like you, you had alluded to before, you know, very typical for you all. This is just your day-to-day stuff, but it's just such a, to me, especially just such an eye-opening thing for, even though it may seem day-to-day to you all, it's very helpful for other agencies and to hear that because I feel like it can be applied not only to hospice visits, but home health visits or any kind of other in-home care to really break it down like that and to just teach that every aspect of a visit. So thank you again. That was very helpful to share. So I want to switch just a tiny bit and get into how you review and use and read through and really look at your CAPS survey results to track performance. So my next question is for Mandy, and how have you used your hospice CAP survey results to track your performance? Yes, I monitor those results on a regular basis. Once I pull them out of the website, then I provide those to the leadership team as well as to the board of directors. And then those results are also shared with the staff during our staff meetings. Um, We look through, we identify areas for improvement, areas that perhaps we need to increase our monitoring of, and then go through and explain to the staff kind of where we rate benchmarking ourselves against the national average and our local area, just so that it keeps it in the forefront of their mind how we are performing compared to our peers and how well the survey results show that we are meeting the patient's needs. Yeah, just a quick follow-up question, Mandy. So do you have a specific set of reports that you usually use? And and out of those, which ones do you find are most valuable? Yes, what I routinely pull is the quality measure dashboard. I think that just gives a good overview of all the survey questions and then also includes the benchmarking details. And then I also monitor the comment reports. Of course, we look at the negative comments to see if there are areas there that need to be followed up with or need to be addressed with particular staff members, if there were staff members that were named in those, but then also the positive comment reports. Hospice is hard. 
Hospice is hard for the people providing the care, and sometimes they don't get the recognition that they need and that they deserve at the end of the day. So when we can pull those positive comments out and share them in staff meeting in front of their peers, then it's, it's just a good pat on the back and a good way to recognize our staff for a job well done. So we use those quite a bit as well. Thank you. My next question is for Stormy. So from your angle, especially as chief nursing officer, how do you use the data to drive your quality improvement efforts? Well, as Mandy already said, we look at some of those reports monthly and then some quarterly and we review those. If we ever see that there are areas that are below what we feel is an acceptable level, we start immediately formulating corrective plan of action. Then we will audit those areas to make sure that we're coming into compliance. But we also, when we see that part of the corrective plan of action may be doing coaching with that staff member, bringing them back in to the lab, having them recheck off on a visit design or go back through on the computer, those areas that maybe we feel like need to be improved upon. And then we may go out to the home and watch them at the bedside and do some auditing and watch them actually interacting with patients and families to see if they are carrying out the mission and values and the culture and all those things that we've already been talking about. So we do look at that data every month and both positively and negatively use that for our day-to-day teaching. This is Rhonda. I was just going to throw in one of the times that I think is particularly helpful is when we have new staff. There's sometimes that you may hire several new nurses or aides or whatever at the same time, and it's not uncommon for our scores to drop a little bit during their learning curve, but that helps us to know where our focus education needs to be for them. Yeah, that is so helpful too, just because it truly, part of the reason why we designed the reports that we did and the way that we present the results to you is so that you can use them as actionable items. You, you can take the scores and say, okay, I see some areas here. And you know, particularly with how the questions are grouped on the survey, again, that the whole reasoning behind how we design those reports is so that you can then take them and as Stormy alluded to earlier, you know, make some performance improvement plans. And, you know, as you just mentioned, Rhonda, too, use those and have it be your starting board for some coaching and teaching efforts. So, yeah, thank you. So we already touched on, you know, basically from a frequency standpoint, you know, you do monitor and review and, and, pull down your reports, at least on a monthly basis, if not more often, especially if you have comments that need addressing. And then you also review them on a quarterly basis as well. So my next question then, Stormy, for you. So how have you been able to involve your clinical staff in understanding and then utilizing those CAPS survey results? I think we've probably already touched a little bit on this, but we do review those numbers with the entire staff, Um, review those, whether it be good comments or bad comments, those are shared. And, you know, we've actually did some case studies and things of that nature when we found that maybe the comments were less than positive. So, you know, it does give us a sense of accountability or that staff member accountability because, you know, no one really wants a negative comment made about them in front of the whole staff. So while that might be embarrassing, it's also teaching and it also helps us to perhaps change that behavior if we need to change it. Also, while we're doing that on a monthly or quarterly basis and we're sharing those results, we also look at these things annually. And we do look at, as Rhonda talked about earlier, all those standards that we have. And we look to see if 
the staff has met all the standards that we have in place and their merit increase for that year may be you know, negatively impacted if they've not met standard. So if they were someone that didn't meet, like they had a lot of gifts, let's say they had a lot of complaints. When I talk about gifts, that's kind of what we're talking about. So, or if they didn't meet productivity standards, or we saw that they weren't being compliant with the visit design. So there is things that they are striving for as an employee to get that full merit increase at the end of the year. So they're wanting to meet all those standards. And, and as she said, the standard, we set those so that we would have a high level of quality. And that's the way that we would measure our quality. And then it would show up in your reports and it would show up in your CAP scores. Yeah, that's so perfect sense as far as just, that's the whole reason why you have accountability is so, and you have to measure it really. And so this is your guide to measuring that. And, and the fact that you use the reports and the results that shows your scores and in your, how you treat your patients and families. So, all right. So a few other questions. We've talked about this before, just as far as Rhonda, you had mentioned the teaching lab and, and how you educate not only your staff, but also the caregivers, their family, you know, setting expectations. So do you want to talk a little bit more about just how that has impacted or affected your caregiver's perception of care that you provide to them and, and how they are rating their overall satisfaction with your hospice? Well, typically, we've been rating pretty well on their satisfaction of the care and how they would rate our hospice. Of course, we are not particularly asking them, you know, how did you like this tool or whatever, but we know that there's interaction with the staff and the families about those tools. So we, we believe that they are finding those helpful. What we hear so many times over the years is families just talk about one of the values of hospice is knowing that there was always someone there. There was always someone they could discuss with. So I think any kind of tool that you can empower your caregivers to know that they're doing a good job and that you're giving them tools to do so, just like we need to give our employees the tools to do their job. We have to give the caregivers the tools to do what they're there to do 24 hours a day. We're there just for a snippet of time. So just empowering them, giving them the confidence, but also the confidence that they have a full team to support them and to help move them along. A couple of things that we also do that I think get some positive feedback, one particularly is utilizing our volunteers. Typically on Thursday, we have one or two volunteers that will come in and call our entire home caseload to just make sure they've got everything they need to get through the weekend, make sure the medication. So it's not just the nurse that's making sure they've got all the medicines. It's not just the nurse and the aide to make sure they've got all the DME and medical supplies they have, but our volunteers calling because you know how it is. Nurse can walk out and that caregivers can say, oh, I forgot to tell her X, Y, and Z. So while we have the volunteers calling, that's just not only are they asking, got everything you need, but it's just another caring human being to check on that caregiver and how are you doing? So another part of empowering and showing sincere concern for them. And the one thing Mandy didn't mention that she does as far as her quality monitoring, we also do our own phone call survey to families while they're still in our program to help identify areas of improvement and to see if there's anything, again, that we need to add to our service line or difference in communications with the patients and the families, that sort of thing. So we strive very hard to be 
proactive and instead of reactive. But at the same time, if there is a concern that comes through through the CAPS survey, those sort of things, that we definitely address those. Yeah, the more touches you have with patients and families, I know that that is just something that is, like you said, it's empowering them and they just have a lot of resources and tools at their fingertips so that it just, again, helps them to be more confident in their piece of caregiving with their loved I just love how often you talk to them and, you know, just the calling on Thursdays, it seems like such a simple thing, but very impactful to those families because they know that someone knows that the weekend is coming up and they're calling just to make sure they have everything. And, you know, I think you had mentioned before when we had first talked about it, they just have a, they get to know them a little bit. They have a friendly voice over the phone to connect with outside of their, the aides and the nurses and the other clinical staff that have visited with them. So, and the chaplain obviously too. So, yeah. Thank you. It's not uncommon when we serve someone that some of their fears that they discuss when we first are there in their home is they may share that they have felt like they were on this journey by themselves. They didn't really have a strong support system. So we've had a few patients that have referred to us as the Calvary Calvary's coming and we're not yep. by ourselves any longer and we're not having to go down this road alone. So we try to remind them in several high touches every week that they're not alone. That's awesome. Thank you. All right. So I think we're down to the last question. So Stormy, this one is for you and Rhonda, obviously feel free to chime in, but just really interested to hear kind of what's next for you guys. You know, what are your plans for the future? And even with all of your consistently high performance that you have had over the past six years with the hospice cap survey, you know, how do you determine what to focus on next and, you know, just continue from there? Well, you know, I feel like there's always room to improve until we're always 100% across the board. We will continue to analyze and revise our plans of action. You know, unfortunately, sometimes those numbers fall a little bit, like she talked about earlier. When you hire new staff or you have a change, things may fall. So if you don't keep those things in the forefront of your mind, you will see your scores go down. So, you know, we're going to continue to hold people accountable to our standards and try to recruit and retain the highest performers in the field. We would love to have the best of the best, not just in quality, but employees and that everybody's just fighting to come work for Shepherd's Cove Hospice because we just blow it out of the water and they know that we're a high quality, high integrity organization. So until we get to that, we're going to continue to tweak those standards and tweak those trainings and tweak our auditing. And we're going to tweak everything that we do until we achieve that highest level in everything that we do. So I just hope that we can continue to promote, you know, a high level of quality, accountability, and the best of care to our patients and families. So that's our goals, and that's what we'll be working on in the future, and that's what we'll be looking for. Thank you. Perfect. That's so good to hear. You know, even from us as a survey vendor, that's something we always strive to do as well, just tweak how we are providing data to you and updating information from our side and Definitely always room for improvement from us as well, but just this whole conversation has been so helpful from an overall view of truly how your hospice operates and what your culture is and how you use the CAPS reports and the scores and the results to really continue to drive improvement on your side and 
obviously you've done such an amazing job over the past even 40 years, you know, that not just these small little six years of time where we've had the hospice cap survey, but just your whole life of your organization. And I do want to say happy early birthday for you all next year. 40 years is an amazing achievement to, you know, have provided service in your counties for so long and been really helpful. And I just think so informative from my little standpoint. And I know so many others will have an appreciation and really gain some insight from our conversation today. So I really appreciate it. If anyone has anything, you know, feel free to chime in. Rhonda, do you want to offer it up to you and you can do a wrap up for us? Well, again, we just appreciate the opportunity to represent our agency outside of our own little corner of our world. And I'm very proud of our staff. I'm very proud of our agency. We've never been satisfied with just the status quo. So we're always looking for how we can serve more and better. And our staff has always stepped up to the plate to make that happen. So thank you again for letting us share some of our thoughts. And we appreciate the time. You're so welcome. Thank you again. That concludes the latest episode of The Post-Acute Point of View, brought to you by Matrix Care and Healthcare First. We have a lot of guests and topics coming up that you won't want to miss, so be sure to subscribe. If you've enjoyed today's podcast, and if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss, leave us a review. To learn more about our solutions and services, please visit matrixcare.com or healthcarefirst.com. You can also follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Thank you for listening. Be well, and we'll see you next time.